Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we delve into another passage of the Bible, we read it with you and we unpack it and we discuss it together from three different perspectives. We have the expert, Lachlan Miller. Hello, nice to be back. Uh, we have myself, the PK pastor's kid, Joshua, and we have Morgan, the newbie. Hello. How are we all doing? Well, doing well. Doing well. Great. Doing well. This is the normal chit chat part of the show and uh, <laughs> we just had lunch. <laughs> yes, we did. We just had lunch. Um, Given how big the passage is this yeah. week, I think it's a great idea to jump straight into it because we're looking at Matthew chapter 5 to 7. We're trying to cover all the Sermon on the Mount in one go. Mm. All right, let's jump in. Here we go. Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Please pause now and read those chapters if you haven't done so already. In these chapters, we find Jesus' most famous sermon which he preaches from a mountain and touches on topics such as the qualities of a true disciple, a true interpretation of the law, and how a disciple should participate in religious observances before asking his audience which path they will choose. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So uh, that was a lot, right? Yes. Like <laughs> chapters five to seven, Jesus touches on so many topics right now. I think obviously we should break it down into smaller chunks and mm-hmm. I'm here to suggest that the chunks are achievable and on one topic. So if we just look at chapter five as a starting point, he seems to start on what is the portrait of a true disciple. That is like the beginning point of his sermon. Mm. So if you look at the very beginning of chapter five, it says he sits down and teaches his disciples. Now we know there's a large crowd around him and we know from the end of chapter seven that they hear it all and are astounded by his teaching but it seems like his primary audience is starting off with just his disciples and teaching them. And so he teaches them in the first half of chapter five, what it means to be a true disciple. And then the second half of chapter five, he talks about how he has come to fulfill the law. And then he gives his true interpretation of God's intention behind the laws. And so those seem like the two main topics that chapter five touches on. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's one chapter. Yeah. I just want to start out by asking, what is a beatitude? I've only ever heard it pronounced as beatitudes. So happy to be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's pre- pronounced beatitudes. Okay. Um, yeah, our Bible uses that heading when reading the passage, the term doesn't come up whatsoever. It's one of those words we put into the Bible. Um, but it's because in the Latin translation of this passage, um, the Latin word uh, beatus is blessed or happy. Like it's the word that starts off every one of these um, verses here in the first, what, how many, 10 verses or so, all start with blessed or blessed. We had a discussion before this episode about how to pronounce it. And I don't <laughs> think we agreed on which one no. out of blessed and blessed. So if we alternate in this episode between the two, please forgive us. We're not English majors, any of us. No. Uh, but yes, they're named after how it starts. And so the word there. Um, it's kind of a term of congratulations or recommendation. Um, sometimes we translate it as happy or fortunate, but those words just aren't strong enough for what Jesus is actually saying here. Mm-hmm. So it's a stronger word than happy or fortunate are those who, etc. Yeah. Which are which of the Beatitudes, Morgan, stood out to you the most? Probably blessed slash blessed are the merciful who, for they will be shown mercy. Mm. It's one that stood out to me. What about you? What one stood out to you? I mean, 
Blester the meek always stands out to me just because you never encounter the word meek in any other situation. And so like every time I read this passage, I have to quickly go to a, a dictionary and be like, what is meek again? I always forget. Um, so blessed are the gentle is kind of another good way to put it or blessed are the really humble um, stood out to me. Um, it also stood out because what they're promised is to inherit the earth, which is something that a meek or gentle person would never claim or never try to obtain because mm. of their attitude. And yet it is the very thing that they themselves would never try to take that is promised to them mm. because of their attitude. How about you, Josh? Yeah, number 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Mm. This day and age, or any day, I mean, I say this day and age, but if you look throughout history anyway, any day and age when like being persecuted or just trying to do the right thing and either people don't appreciate it or people sort of persecute you or um, get upset by just, just, just trying to do the right thing. It can be quite disheartening because you're just like, but I, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. I, this, is, this is what I've been taught to do or this is what I've been told to do, you know, and it's, and it's quite nice when it's quite nice when it's like for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, mm. you know, and, and I think it's uh, that, um, reinforces that just keep doing that right thing that you're doing keep going no matter no matter how hard it is no matter what people come up after you for it Mm. keep going because the kingdom of heaven is 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 yours yeah and verse 10 and verse 11 are so linked Mm. like they it's almost the one saying just elaborated on further yeah Um, and if jesus himself was persecuted if the prophets were persecuted it should almost just be expected mm. of those who follow in that that path. Yeah, yeah, and your like your belief can be can can be such a hot topic at times that you're almost afraid to to sort of openly say you're either a Christian or or that you have some sort of belief mm. system, whatever whatever it may be. Um, the same thing with politics or any hot topic, you know. Some sometimes get people really want to do it because they want to, you know, stir the pot. Or other mm. other people like myself sometimes shy away from it because you just don't you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to you want to. Uh, for me, I just want to fit in. Mm. Um, but in saying that, I should also be steadfast in my own faith in my own beliefs, and and not fear the the persecution. Mm. Um, yeah, something something I struggle with is when you get asked, "What did you do on the weekend?" I struggle with saying, well, I went to church on Sunday. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a simple thing, but it mm. is actually sometimes quite hard to hard to say. And I know I need to be like, no, no, no be confident because people, because mm. nine times of ten, people actually don't care. Yeah. They're, they're like, cool, you, you know, you do that, you do you, and sort of thing. But like, yeah, it's a, that simple thing of of just, just what did you do on the weekend? And you just, oh, you know, it's just a quiet one. And you just don't mention that you went to church is, it, yeah simple but it is is tough and it's something i think yeah i definitely struggle struggle with that yeah i uh, also have that experience because when you're a pastor one of the first things that people say when they meet you is hi like what do you do for a job and you're like well i'm about to reveal everything to you right now aren't i mm, i've mm. definitely had some amazing conversations come because i'm like oh, yeah, i am a pastor like that's that's what i do with my time and i've had other people just completely shut down like i was getting a haircut the other day and the guy was really friendly and chatty and we were chatting for heaps of time before it was like, yeah, so like, what does a normal week look like for you? What do you do for work? I was like, oh yeah, I'm a pastor at a church. And his attitude completely changed. Mm. But yeah. at the same time, like can't hide it. 
Shouldn't hide it. No, shouldn't hide it. Shouldn't hide it. Well, I feel like we've not yet covered all of the Beatitudes. So, uh, Morgan, choose the second one that stood out to you. I like four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mm. I really like that. Churches are kind of sometimes full of broken people. That can be a reassuring thing to remember. Mm. Um, And I think it goes on in this chapter about not worrying, and I just really like that that one, that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that particular Beatitude is almost ripped straight from the Old Testament. Like Isaiah 61.2 says that part of the Messiah's work ought to bring comfort to those who mourn. And so Jesus isn't necessarily saying anything new, but it's it's a beautiful reminder. Yeah. The uh, second beatitude that stood out to me uh, was, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I just think it's quite interesting that of all the consequences of these different beatitudes, it is peacemakers who so reflect God in their actions and personality that they get to be called sons of God. Like that is a term that shows you are reflecting your father. Like that's kind of part of the idea of fatherhood in, in the Bible is if you're the son of someone, you reflect them in some way. So those who are peacemakers reflect God. Mm. Mm. And so Jesus starts this huge sermon with, this is what a disciple should look like. And if they do look like this, this is what the impact will be as he moves into his two uh, little illustrations of salt and light. Morgan, you like salt. Well, she likes to spill it everywhere <laughs> over lunch. Well, let's start with the salt then, shall we? Salt has, what, two different purposes. And I'm honestly not sure which of these purposes Jesus was going for. Um, first, you could use salt as a flavor. So if he's using it in like the flavorful sense, it would be that his followers are like salt that they would kind of create a thirst in others to discover why they are different. Mm. Or you've got salt as a preservative, right? Mm. Like you salt your meat before you take a really long voyage overseas. And so if it is being used in that sense, it's possible that they were meant to be like Jesus' disciples because of these actions would be preserved in those actions against all the evils of society. So I, I honestly don't know which of those Jesus is using it. He may be aiming for both, like mm. given mm. that both were very common uses of salt at the time. Yeah. My my thought goes to the preser- preservation mm. because of the time. To me, it doesn't necessarily read preservation because, you know, talking about flavor. And how it becomes useless. Yeah. At lo- when it loses its saltiness. Yes. Which potentially is the main point we want to cling to anyway, right? Mm. Is it's less about how salt is being used and more the fact that if salty is not salty, it is useless. Yes, yeah. Just like a disciple. Yeah. If a disciple is not living out these characteristics we just saw, mm. then what, what use are they? Yeah, we are putting. if you are putting salt onto your chips or your hot chips, for example, and it has no f- flavor, mm. then what's the point of it? You know, calling us to, to, to come and if we aren't the, the model disciple, then what's the point? And then light. I remember in our very first episode, Morgan, every time there was a reference to light, you were you were loving it. You were all over it. Yeah, I love this verse, the you are the light of the world. And I love at the end, uh, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Mm. I am an imagery person. I just like the idea of light. And I also like the town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I think it's just a very powerful imagery thing about mm. that. If you live out these ways, other people will see them and you can't really hide it people will follow along mm. I think it's really powerful yeah yeah love the idea of you can't can't hide the light yeah 
Mm. And even if you, I mean, with the analogy that is putting there, even if you do, what's going to, what, you know, if, if it's, a, if it's one of those, like, if we're going to take this literal, if it's one of those oil lamps, candle lamps, if you hide that, what's going to happen? Your, your, whatever you've put on top of it may catch fire, causing more light. So, you know, if, if <laughs> that's a, just a, just a, on a side note, it's like it, a byproduct is even if you hide it, it actually might, it may shine brighter than what you thought it might ever be. Mm. And saying it gives light to everyone in the house, like that could be a literal term, that could be in your friend group, in your community. Mm. So it's like giving that light to everyone around you. They mm. sharing it. And so we've now seen what a model disciple should do. And then Jesus jumps into talking about the law, which is where we see that uh, we're reading Matthew in isolation, having not read the entire Old Testament in preparation for this. Um, but this is where he's going with it. Any thoughts as we uh, read that bit about the law? Did it make any sense? It's, it's interesting how at the beginning, do not misunderstand. Like he's not coming, he's saying I'm not coming here to abolish it or I'm not coming here to change, like, to change what it is. He's coming here to tell the truth and to um, recontextualize what those, those things are. And I am, and I am, I don't, I don't know how true this is, but I imagine people may have started to use Moses's law for their own personal good or misunderstood or have sort of chopped and changed or this part doesn't apply to me, but this part does. And so I imagine one of maybe the way, one of the reasons why this, um, this has come up came to reiterate what the, what the law was so that everyone had sort of this blank slate of, okay, this is, this is the law. And this is this is our understanding of it, and this is how we live our lives from this point point onwards, so that people didn't miscom. There was no miscommunication about it, or any wanting to sort of spin it in your own for your own good, um, or your own um, self gain. You made a comment before, Josh. Yes. That part of the reason Jesus might be doing this teaching is so that people would not accuse him or would stop just chopping up what bits of the Old Testament apply to them and what they would actually teach and obey and live out. But I think we as Christians often get accused of that when it comes to the Old Testament. Okay. So like, how do we think that plays into it? Because he says like, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Do you think we as Christians are guilty of chopping and changing the law? Is that what Jesus is teaching here? Um, I think we, I doubt well. Simple answer is yeah. I think we definitely can, whether whether that be overt or um, we know that we are doing it or we don't know that we're doing it. Um, I definitely think we have the ability to. And in the past, I definitely think we have, and unfortunately, I definitely think we will continuing on. As I said before, whether we do that knowingly or unknowingly, from either a lack of knowledge, or or we have the knowledge and we're like, nah, I don't know this bit, and we'll actively change it. Yes. Yeah, I think we I think I think we do. I found a translation of this these few verses uh by a guy called RT France. Um I actually read two of his commentaries in preparation for today. Um and he retranslates 17 to 21 um in this way. And I think it's really, really helpful because I think this is one of the passages of scripture that gets misunderstood the most and argued about the most and used as evidence against Christians quite often. Um, So this is actually how he translates this passage. Um, I have not come to set aside the Old Testament, but to bring the fulfillment to which it pointed. 
For no part of it can ever be set aside, but all must be fulfilled, as it is now being fulfilled in my ministry and teaching. So a Christian who teaches any part of the Old Testament as inferior is an inferior Christian. And a consistent Christian Christian will be guided by the Old Testament and will teach others accordingly. But a truly Christian attitude is not the legalism of the scribes and Pharisees, but a deeper commitment to do the will of God, as my next few verses will illustrate. Now, it's a very colloquial, in some ways, translation, but it does point out that Jesus is not saying the Old Testament is for us to obey every letter of today, even though no letter of the Old Testament will ever pass away. Hmm. But as Christians, we still apply it and learn from it, understand the will of God within it. Hmm. And these people that he was speaking to were being asked to obey all of it until it was truly fulfilled, which is what Jesus came to do. Hmm. And he came to fulfill everything the law pointed to and everything the prophets pointed Hmm. to. Yeah. And I think that's why I was getting sort of myself confused because Jesus is coming to bring his new covenant is in the new way, his way, because he is the way. Having talked about Jesus's relationship to the law, I think then think he goes on to give a bunch of examples of how people have missed the true will of God within the law. And that is what we then read for the rest of chapter five is on the topic of murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, uh, retaliation, and love. Um, Jesus comes to explain the true meaning or the true intention of God in all of those elements, rather than just the strict legalism of following the exact law. And so any comments as we head into that section? Something I picked up on when reading it was that they are quite similar or some things are similar to the Ten Commandments. Um, That's just something I picked up on. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, he's referring to direct commandments, Mm. like do not murder, do not commit adultery. There's a few direct quotes from the Ten Commandments. Question, why? so why is he coming to, to, to change it? Like it's that fulfillment, right? Why Then why change what was already given, if that makes sense? So I don't think he's changing the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. I think he's challenging the current interpretation of them mm-hmm. and then asking everyone to hold to a higher standard. And so this becomes more obvious in the future ones like, on divorce and on oaths, which Jesus then repeats something that they have heard, which is probably what the Pharisees are teaching and then gives a true interpretation of it. But for something like murder, um, he takes what is, we all agree is wrong, murder's wrong, then he heightens it. He makes mm. it even harder to attain this standard because the standard is um, God didn't want you to murder, but actually God also just doesn't even want the anger from you that can lead to murder. Like that's also off the table. So Mm. he comes to bring a higher standard and a more true picture of God's intentions Mm. behind the law. So murder, yes, still wrong. Adultery, yes, still wrong. But the murder that is behind, sorry, the anger that is behind murder and the lust that is behind adultery, those are the real root sins that ultimately God wants us to stop. Mm. So could could we argue that then in the society at the time of the Ten Commandments and Moses's law, they needed that version. Mm. Moving all the way up to now here with the Sermon on the Mount, that society at the time then needed, and then for us reading it now, needs that version. Does that does that make sense? Because mm. um, it is that like I I understand the um 
the the bringing a, like a, a deeper understanding and like sort of getting to the nitty gritty of why of of like the actual the real reasons of why you don't you know do these things my 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 question like my my brain wonders to sort of like why not bring that at the very beginning with moses and was that just because those people at the time needed that and then you know we come all the way here and then we need this for this time all them within like god's sort of plan of these people need this and we're going to give them that and then like that's yeah i'm just wondering it's it's a good thought i don't know if i have a direct answer but my go-to response would be to suggest that um, it's all it's universally true that murder is bad, mm. but the attitude of the people at the time of Jesus was strict legalism. Mm. That was the idea of the Pharisees, is very strict legalism. And Jesus is trying to take this society that is, in many ways embraced the Ten Commandments, embraced the commands of God, and tried to be like, but there's more to it. Mm. It's actually about your attitude towards God. It's about yeah. your personal character. That is actually the really important thing. You've captured onto something good. Now let's take you beyond that and away from the bad of strict legalism, which I think Jesus is quite against. Yes, yes. Yeah, no. no and I like it. And I like that deeper deeper understanding, getting to the core roots of, of these things. Yeah, it's just one of those interesting things where I'm like, I, I wonder whether or not because the, the you know, from the Exodus and, and the Israelites, you know, maybe they needed that legalism of of wandering through the desert, and they needed that during that period of time. And now, as we come further, you know, further on, we now need that deeper understanding. Mm. I am. Um, uh, while we're just on the the passage on murder, there was a few translations that I thought would be interesting to bring up here, just as a slightly deeper insight. Uh, so, for instance, mine talks about the fire of hell, but that is literally Gehenna which is actually a literal valley that's just outside of Jerusalem. And oh. it's where they would actually go and burn all of their rubbish. There was almost like an eternal fire always in that valley because they're always burning rubbish. Mm. And so like, I think Jesus is referring to eternal punishment here. Like I think fires of hell is a good translation by the NIV translators, but it's helpful to know that he's looking at a very specific imagery for that. Mm. Um, another interesting thing is it talks, uh, my translation doesn't even actually translate it. It just says, um, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Like it doesn't even translate that word for me. And so I thought it was interesting. So I looked it up and it is a term of abuse. It's not like the worst term of abuse in the world. It'd be like me calling you an idiot, which isn't nice of me, but it's not the biggest insult. And so Jesus is suggesting that even calling someone an idiot, like that is something that puts you in danger at a, like a spiritual level of having that type of anger against someone. Uh, and the last bit of translation I wanted just for this section, and I think this is the only time in today's episode I'm going to go deep dive on translation just because there was a few interesting things here, is it ends at the end, very end of verse 26 with the last penny. Now, if you remember in our very first episode, I said that whoever wrote Matthew cared a lot about the different types of coins. Like every other gospel writer just kind of uses the one word for coins or money. They don't care about the distinctions. The gospel writer here has legitimately used the word for the smallest Roman coin. Hmm. Just, I think it was just a nice throwback to when we're talking about the author, whoever this author is, which we think it's the apostle Matthew, who was a tax collector cared and knew his stuff about money and different types of coins and here's another little example of it so you think they um 
those different those different translations are giving different sort of context or giving further context to what is being said if that makes sense i just think it's helpful for us when we get something written in, in english mm. knowing that that's not how it came to us yes and yeah. so i think our modern bible translations are excellent mm. like they convey the meaning of god's word so so well but there's always going to be tiny little things that we miss in a translation mm. Mm. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot in this sermon, so let's not spend time looking at every little bit as we go forward. Mm. But I did want to jump to the bit on divorce because there's some backing here that I think is helpful to know. Um, so at the time of Jesus, there were two competing um, schools of thought about divorce. And so one was led up by this guy called Hillel, who said a husband could divorce his wife for literally any reason at all. So he is a big fan of teaching that the moment a wife displeased you, in this patriarchal male dominated society, divorce her, get out of there, get a new wife. Um, alternatively, there was a guy called Shammai um, who was teaching that divorce was only permissible for major offenses. And Jesus in this section here clearly aligns with Shammai of God sees marriage as so important and holy at his union that he initiated that it takes something major to, div- to break it. And so Jesus wants to really clarify that marriage is super, super important. Now, divorce is a topic that could be hard and we don't have time to go in depth here. Mm. So I thought I would actually just give a resource for any of our listeners who wanted to dig on the topic of divorce, which can be Mm -hmm. quite an emotive issue, um, as well as an intellectual one when it comes to trying to figure out what the Bible teaches on it. And so I'd really recommend um, Mike Winger on YouTube. So he's a Christian guy. He does a whole bunch of videos on a variety of different things, but he has an epic three-hour video titled Divorce and Remarriage, Everything the Bible Says About It. In this video, he goes super in-depth. If the topic of divorce is something you want to explore more and we can't, we don't have the time to do that now, go check out his video on YouTube. Leave him a comment. Tell him that our podcast sent you. That'd be fun. But I think that's a really helpful resource. And I love that mm. in our society, um, we have so many excellent Christian resources. We can point others towards, actually. And, and for for me, the one that that stands out, the, the loving of your enemies, mm. um, and and sort of bef- before that, we've got you know about revenge, and it sort of sort of slightly goes a bit hand in hand. But for me, I always, for me personally, I try to achieve of um, and living a life of like not trying to like waste energy on things that don't necessarily apply to me, or I don't need to waste energy on. And I've always, I've always said, and I don't know how true it would be if it actually happened, that I would forgive if, if my entire family was murdered, I would, I would forgive the murderer. Mm. And it may not happen like then and there or immediately, but I always told myself that, and I always had this strong conviction that eventually I would actually forgive that person and, and any person that would, would do anything like either horrific or wrong me in any sort of way. Um, I try to live my life without regrets or grudges or um, holding any sort of negativity for, for anyone because I feel like that's not healthy um, and it's not a healthy, healthy thing because you keep it limits you on how you can sort of live, live your life and it hold, for me it holds, holds me back if I, if I can and I know it's not an easy thing, I, you know, saying it now, it's easier said than done but mm. I try and live my life of trying to, as hard as it may be at some points in time, living, you know, with love for, for my enemies or love for, for those that, you know, you might not necessarily hold in the highest respects, but they're at the end of the day, they're human too. 
Mm. And you don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know how how they're being treat, treated by other people. And you might not necessarily have to get along with everyone, but at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all the same. We have the same emotions. And we ha- we feel the same things. And if we're if we love our our, our enemies, um, that way we can just I don't know try and get along. I'm trying not to be too like um sort of hippie and lovey and like you know like, like you know just love and peace man just love and peace but like like but like but genuinely i try and not hold any grudges towards anyone or or try and have any hate or hurt for um for anyone because i just don't think it's healthy yeah. yeah and you're right it's really hard and it's a radical teaching of jesus mm. no one else at the time was teaching love your enemies it was Love your neighbors, sure. There's nothing controversial about that, but love your enemies is huge. And Jesus even builds up to it, right? He doesn't just dump it on them. He starts off with this idea of retaliation and say, says, hey, in the Old Testament, you have the right to retaliate in kind, um, which is eye for an eye. Like, however they hurt you, you have the right to retaliate. Um, but then he says, the righteous person will not claim this. The righteous mm. person will, can cop it on the chin and continue to love them. So he starts off with, you don't have to retaliate. And then he builds on that and says, not only do you not have to retaliate, you should also show positive love towards those who hurt you. Mm. And it's a bit of a stepping stone. And like I said, incredibly radical love ethic. Anything else to say about that section, Morgan? Yeah, one that stood out for me was the do not worry. Um, I think when you put that with things like adultery and murder, but then having do not worry in there, just that teaching giving it all to him and I think it's just a a good one and it's things like um, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Um, It's imagery and things that we don't think about, we don't need to think about, but just Mm. not worrying and there's a pretty popular verse, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow worry about itself. It's just a good one to live by. Mm, It is. Sometimes I often forget. Yeah. So let's move into chapter six. And in chapter six, we see that Jesus says his disciples will not just obey the law in the correct way, but will also do the the usual kind of religious observances to a different degree. And so kind of the three standard religious practices of the era was giving to the needy, prayer and fasting. Mm. They're like the big three that everyone would participate in. And so I find it really interesting that he starts off with giving to the poor, firstly, just as an assumption that it's happening, Mm -hmm. but then says that we should do it in such secrecy that we receive no glory for it. In fact, it's so secret, our left hand might forget what our right hand has done. Mm. Like it is that level of secrecy. And I've actually got a story that I want to tell that hopefully shows me in a light that is not that positive. Um, (laughs) Here's what I mean of giving should be secret so that it gives the glory to God. So I once gave a friend of mine my entire weekly paycheck because they were trying to raise money for a a mission. And so what I did is I put a few hundred dollars in an envelope. I typed out on a piece of paper that just said, for the Lord, put it in the envelope, sent it to them. They, that action gave all the glory to God. It was secret. No one knew about it because in their mind, God had blessed them with the money. That is the purpose of our money is that God uses it for his purposes. Mm. However, like, Six months went past and I started feeling pretty pride, like pretty proud of the fact that I was so generous. I'm such a good person, aren't I? Mm. That I started telling this story to people. And initially I told it to like one close friend and like, oh, you're a good guy, Lachlan. And I started telling it to more people. 
Then I used it for a sermon illustration once. And suddenly I've become the very Pharisee that Jesus right here is telling us not to be of instead of that money to that person now bringing God glory, it has all been directed to me. I receive all the glory of being generous. And Jesus says that I've received my entire reward for that. There is no extra reward now apart from Mm. people's good perspective of me. Like there is no eternal reward for such an action that is done so publicly that it now brings me glory instead of God. Mm. And so our giving, we should be generous, but we should do it in such a way that it brings God glory. And it mostly brings him glory when we aren't sticking our hand up, taking all of the credit for it. And so Mm. it's a moment I need to sit and think of like, I need to stop getting credit for this thing and start giving generously in secret because that is one of the ways to be a disciple of Jesus. That whole gloating of, and, and like you are now, you, you know, you're, you're the savior. You're mm. the one coming to the rescue. It's mm. not um, sort of slightly confused me, but it now makes perfect sense of like, you know, you, you don't like, why wouldn't we want to show our other hand? What our, what our hand's doing is like, no, that, that makes, that makes complete sense. And I think what's interesting is the flip side of, of it is when you are, and maybe it's not the flip side, you know, I give to compassion because I have a um, sponsored child and also tithe, but there are moments where instead of like, you see your bank statement that it, the money has been taken out and instead mm. of going, you know, like, oh, that's nice. You know, it's going, it's going to this, this charity. It's like, I then go, oh, oh, that's another <laughs> X amount of money out there. Out of, like, it's the wrong attitude to have of like, mm. to ha- and, and we'll go into sort of money and possessions um, moment, yeah. in a moment. But the, it's that, yeah, it's putting that more emphasis on like what you have and what you're giving away um, rather than just like, no, giving generously um, to it. I, I definitely um, suffer from the, from the the groan of oh that x amount of money has come out of my bank, mm. Mm, which is not the attitude. No, definitely not. And then we move on topic of prayer. And I was wondering, Morgan, if I could ask you a question, um, which is that here Jesus teaches us how to pray. And I'm wondering when you became a Christian, which is more recent than Josh and I, like how were you taught to pray? Um, well, I was quite hesitant at the start to pray because I'm was thinking in my head I look like a nutcase speaking to someone Mm. that's not in front of me Um, and I was taught to treat it as a conversation and I started by making it not about me and what I wanted, not a transactional thing but more Mm. about a gratefulness and a gratitude Mm. and just started out small like that, always trying to, yeah, not see what I could get out of it but treat it as a gratefulness tool. Mm. Also asking for help when needing it and doing that but not making it about me as much Hmm. Um, and also being really open to use as a tool for other people if they say hey can you pray for me Hmm. being open to that but yeah I was definitely hesitant at the start because and I also assumed that you had to pray out loud for it to count (laughs) Um, well Jesus says go into a locked room and pray there yeah Yeah. so I assumed that and I also assumed it had to be really planned and structured but it doesn't because sometimes you can literally say hey God it's me yeah Um, this is happening and it doesn't have to be Hmm. formal you could say anything. Mm. Can, yeah, he knows anyway, so. Yeah. 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 You say you go on prayer walks. Yes. Yeah, you said that earlier, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. I did. Is, is, so is that a form of, of how, you, how you pray? Like, is that like, a, would you say that's a tool? Yeah, at the start, because I was by myself at a beach. No one could hear me, no judgment. At the start, I was very <laughs> worried about judgment. And at the time when I started doing those prayer walks, I was looking for signs. So there was that particular time I went for the walk. 
the ocean was so rough that day, like crazy. I did the prayer walk and I looked out and the water had stopped clear for a few seconds and I thought, wow, thought I was going crazy but then was, wow. Mm. Yeah, I know people that do coffee with God time in the morning so they'll have a dedicated time where they just sit and have a coffee and just chat. It's not necessarily a dedicated prayer but, yeah, prayer walks have been something that Mm. really worked for me. Yeah, that's good and I think we should sort of find that thing that's that's best for us, whether it's a prayer mm. walk or the like, you know, the coffee with God. I know that there are people that sort of have a prayer room, and they stick up poster notes of, of things mm. in, in in a in a room, and it doesn't necessarily need to be an empty room that's dedicated. It could be your cupboard or whatever, or the bathroom. But they stick up notes and stuff, and that's what they're praying for. Or there's no judgment on how you pray, but to find the thing that 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 like you said, that tool that works for you, um, so you can have that time with God. Mm. Mm. I always get teased about my office at church because I have pictures of all my volunteers spread throughout the office and it's just, I honestly most of the day don't even realise they're there but every so often I'll look up and see a picture of, oh, there's one of my youth leaders and I think I should pray for them. It's just a helpful reminder. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. I was also wondering, uh, as we look here at the prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gives us, is there any elements there that we don't often include for in our personal prayers? Because this is obviously the model being given to us by Jesus himself of we don't have to pray it word for word, but here is what we should be touching on as we pray to our Heavenly Father. I think sometimes, at least for me, selfishly it's, Lord, it's me again. I know it's been a while. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's sometimes for me in a stressful situation, you sort of sometimes like, God, I'm here please pray for this situation or what I'm about to do or something. It's those times of, of need rather than saying thank you for the food that you've provided or, you know, like going through, going through, going through all that or, you know, forgiving of a sin. Sometimes for me it's very specific on the situation that I'm doing or after said situation it's the praise, mm. if that makes sense. And it's not, it's not including anything else. So for me I sometimes fall into that trap. Yeah, I agree with the like thankful for food. Like I'll remember to do that at grace at dinner, but you don't really think about that mm. sometimes in the middle of the day when you're praying. Yeah. And even yeah, expanding upon like not just necessary sustenance for your body, but it's like yeah. the other forms of sustenance for our brain or um social like you know uh, other other aspects than just the, the just the food one. Mm. Mm. Because when I look through this list, it's the uh, sections of praying for God's kingdom to come and praying for his will to be done. Those are two things that I have no doubt about. I know God's kingdom is coming and I know his will, whatever it is, will be done. But it's not things I often pray for because I think we're meant to pray that those things are happening both now and then with the assurance that it will absolutely happen forever. And so those are things that I often miss from my prayers. Mm. I like to think I start with reverence as this prayer does. I like to think I ask for personal needs and spiritual needs and uh, forgiveness for my weaknesses. But I don't often uh, directly pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, even though I already, I believe those to be true. Mm. It's also important to sort of maybe have a look, especially if it's through family or if it's through friends, relatives, whoever. If you have a model of how you pray, if it's, and then if it comes, if you start, if you've mimicked it from, um, as a practicing method um, from, let's say, your family or maybe your parents or its friends or who, like whoever it is, maybe just stop and think just because you're going through the motions of what they did, maybe stop and think 
how what the, what they did does it follow this model of the mm. prayer should you add anything should you change anything to what you've been taught you know i've been taught to, taught to pray by my my parents and sometimes it can be very cutter cookie like cookie cutter especially when it comes to cutter cookie <laughs> cookie <cutter. laughs> um that's staying in um cookie <laughs> it's sometimes very cookie cutter especially when it comes to like grace because you're hungry and you just want to eat <laughs> but maybe it's a, it's an important lesson just to stop think about how you're doing this and maybe add just a couple of things or maybe you have to take away a couple of things just just for it yeah you know and it may be just the church it, wherever you've been wherever you've been taught just to have that moment it's and it's and i think not to not to stress about oh this might be the wrong way it's like no that's fine mm. but to take that ownership on yourself just to just to reflect over it yeah so having looked at the three big religious observances uh jesus then tackles kind of one of the biggest issues I think we as Christians struggle with, um, which is here's a few more instructions for living as, as a disciple. And one of the common themes amongst all of these is money and possessions. This is something I struggle with every day. <laughs> and I will be truthful, and I do, I do. Mm. The, 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 the funny story, I think it's funny, the funny <laughs> story I have about this specific um, passage here is I was where I, I'm getting I'm sort of so we're getting up, getting up to our wedding and I'm paying like Alyssa and I are paying for a lot of um, mm. all our things all sort of um, all the bills are due for it we need to pay all our different vendors and it and it was just the other day um, of this recording that we got the invoice for our caterers and it turned out to be a bit more than what we had expected and what they had originally said. All fine. I started stressing and I started stressing about money and how much money we would have after this all and being in, and, and especially because I work as a freelance, so I don't have, um, Security, consistency, security, consistent. I don't have a salary. I don't get, um, holiday pay. I don't, um, so it's a bit in my brain. It gets a, it gets really really tough. And you can find security in freelance freelance work, um, but from your typical nine to five, it's a bit it's a bit different. So this is something I really struggle with because I know that there will be points where paychecks might not come in, or mm. so I'm very sort of some at times very money conscious. And so when a big lump sum comes out, it really stresses me, especially you know, wedding, then honeymoon, I'm not working for two weeks and I don't get annual leave. It mm. really sort of put me into this spin of stress. And so I was talking to Alyssa about it and she just said, read the verse of the day. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I pull up the version Bible app. Guess which passage was there? I'm going to guess it was Matthew 6. Um, it was Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up your treasures, treasures here on earth. And I'm like, ah. Oh. You're right. You're right. And it, it, it always and it always comes back. I always have to be I always have to be reminded that yes, in this society we need money to survive, unfortunately, but it is not the end goal of, of why we are here. And mm. it's not what we will have later in heaven. And it's this constant battle between I need this thing to survive and the and quite frankly, unfortunately, the comfortability that it also brings, but also that thing of that that because then I don't have any trust in God that He's got my back anyway. Mm. You know, it's it's not about the possessions I have. It's not about all the nice flashy things. It's not about any any of that. All those all those possessions that we have here will be will just be nothing compared to the kingdom of God and what we'll have mm. have there. And 
but then there's also no trust. There's no faith that even in these rocky times, and even if this might be stressful, that God's got you back. Um, especially because then I was stressing about this and I have very lovely grandparents and family members then gave me money. <laughs> and it's like, like I was stressing for nothing. Like I, there was no trust in God that we would, we would have it until like, this is like, just read the verse of the day mm. because you are actually fine and you'll be right. Yeah. Give it all to God. And if the Western church needs one verse of the day to be hammered into them, it is honestly this bit of Matthew. Like we are in such a materialistic culture and like that is sunk into the church hardcore. And like, I'm guilty of it. Josh has just admitted to being guilty of it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to throw out of the bus, Morgan, but I suspect you're guilty, guilty of it. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Like this is something I think we need to hear of Jesus's teachings. And then we hit the do not worry passage, which uh, Morgan preemptively brought up before. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to add on to your your thoughts about the do not worry passage? No, I think it comes just off what Josh said as well with the do not worry and giving it all to the Lord, mm. like Alyssa <laughs> says all the time. <laughs> don't, don't. both. <laughs> yes, she does. She does. Don't worry. Yeah. Just a nice reminder. Mm, and I think is. it's important reading this passage to point out that Jesus here is not forbidding us from working in this do not worry passage. He's talking about the priorities that we have. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's about what first things first. It's about putting God first. And so Jesus later on, Paul in 2 Thessalonians, they all talk about the value of work and we should be working. But Jesus here is all about what is those priorities though. Mm. And if yeah. our priorities is God first, his kingdom first, do not worry because things will come together. Mm. Like verse 34 basically says we will have a life of problems. But again, it's do not multiply that by worrying. Mm. Mm. What are you worshipping more? Mm. I think going off this passage, like I was saying before, I really liked the when we started in Chapter 5 about the merciful and showing mercy. Like the judging is also not judging and showing grace and mercy to others. Mm. If we're not being judged, then who are we to judge? Which I agree with the idea. Mm. But also like in verse 6 of this chapter, in verses 15 to 20, in Romans 2 and Philippians 2, like we're commanded over and over to be making certain types of judgments. And so I think almost the key verse here is verse 2, which is for in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And Mm. with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yeah. So I don't know if it's explicitly a command not to judge whatsoever, not to make any type of judgments, but rather a command to not be a hypocrite within that yeah. of if you are going to judge someone, be prepared that that same standard will be applied to you. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to look at your life honestly and see, can you make this judgment from where you're at mm. and like rule out any pride that makes you think you're better than anyone else. Yeah. Cause you have plenty of logs sticking out of your eyes. Yes. And, and it can be hard because sometimes we don't, Sometimes we don't know we're being hypocritical mm. until unfortunately it might be too late or we just don't know. Um, and then um, sometimes we, we do and it's, the, dis- the discerning can be quite tricky. And I think, and, and I agree with you, in some, in some instances and I think maybe more in more extreme instances, we need to make snap judgments um, for safety of ourselves or safety of others. Um, we need to have those judgments. Um, that we that we can make and unfortunately society through through society we do have um sort of ingrained into it judgments that we make that sometimes we need to sort of undo for ourselves but mm. 
because the word judging here is also making a distinction. It's making a decision. Like mm. it's that same type of word. And so later on this passage, Jesus tells you to make a distinction between true and false prophets. Mm-hmm. Like it is something that is essential to being a Christian is making those type of decisions, especially for church leaders to figure out certain things. But this is all about our attitude and our hearts as we approach those yeah. places of judgment in any way. Yeah. And it's because, you know, if we, if we look at the fruit, it's like how can you, um, how could you comment on someone bearing bad fruit if your own fruit is bad? Mm. Any reflections, Morgan, on the golden rule here? I don't know what the golden rule is. See, that is great. I'm glad we asked. So the golden rule is verses, verse 12. Um, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in verse 12, we've got kind of Jesus summing up everything that has come before in this sermon. It's like, this is, if you take one thing away from this sermon, everything else I've talked about, has come down to this point. This is how you live as one of my disciples. You treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah, I think we would like taught you taught that from a young age at school. It's something that you just in the playground like treat others the way you want to be treated. And yet that all started with Jesus. Hmm. Like that teaching. Like at the time there were other teachers who were teaching similar things, but they were often in the negative form of do not treat others as you would not wish to be treated. Like yeah. they were often phrased in that real negative way. Whereas Jesus makes it very positive, very demanding of us. Because rather than abstaining from actions, we had to actually do things. Yeah. And so having summed up everything that came before about how to be a disciple, Jesus then jumps into kind of four parallels. These are like your four application points to end the sermon. And his application point is you need to choose where you stand. You've heard what it looks like to be one of my disciples. Now you have to choose which gate you're going to enter by. You have to choose what type of prophet you are, what type of disciple you are, and what type of builder you are. And all four, they have the same application point, which is be a disciple of Jesus. It's the better option. But he really labors this final bit of his sermon. Josh, you were saying uh, you're reading from a different translation from us. (laughs) How did yours translate this uh, first section of the narrow and wide gates? It's an interesting one. So if anyone at home has the uh, NLT version, the New Living Translation, uh, verse so chapter 7 verse 13 you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way the highway to hell mm. <laughs> it's very revert isn't it it's not yes it's quite not, quite clear in the is. NLT it's not, yes it's not it's not a subtle translation that bit <laughs> Mm. The, that that one is. What I found interesting reading this is I often found it taught that like the highway to hell, I'm using quote marks for those who are just using our audio format, the highway to hell is like the easy path, the really easy way and the, the narrow gate, the narrow path is like the really hard, only the good disciples work on that. But that's not actually what Jesus is teaching here. He's not teaching which one is harder or easier. He's actually teaching which one is more popular. Like it's purely like a better translation is um, the wide gate is the roomy gate and the narrow gate is the restricted gate. And so it's actually talking about how being a true disciple of Jesus is a minority position. Mm. Jesus is explicitly saying that is the smaller group of people. It's the more restricted group. Whereas the other path, very roomy, lots of people there. Especially especially when it gets to the whole true disciples part. Mm. Um, and it's, just, you know, it's a, it's. It can be a bit of a smack in the face. It's like those, Very much. those who call out to, out to Jesus, 
might not actually get in. You know, those those that uh, you know, fellow people in the church, fellow Christians, mm. might still not make it, unfortunately. And as uh, you know, and it's something that we sort of um, see sometimes in the older um, generation, older demographic within the church. Um, because they've been taught, I think, a little bit more on that legalistic and the ritual, ritualistic ways of this is the motions, but also societal pressures of this is what you, what this is what you did on Sunday, mm. and and over the and I know and at least in my experience, it's that trying to build, it's trying to build that relationship with that older demographic with Jesus, um, and not just going through the motions of of a Sunday. This is what you did. Mm. You went to church you know, and then you went home and then, then I think it's actually trying to put those, um, having that relationship yeah. with it, um, with it, because it is true there will be people that are like, yep, I'm a Christian and that's it. Mm. And then they don't, they don't follow anything. This is, you know, this is where we come back to that whole hypocritical thing and the, and the fruit of, are you actually bearing good fruit? Even if you have this label of Christian, are mm. you, um, it's that classic thing of, um, you will know uh, that line of you will know that we are Christian by our love, by our love. But some people have a very strange way of showing their love. Or <laughs> that love can very much not feel like love, yet they are still a brother in Christ with us. And it can be hard and, and there can be a real sort of grapple when they believe the, uh, believe the same thing, hold, um, worship the same God, yet they're just be going through the motions or they could be at odds against something, but we're all, we're all, you know, under the same banner, right? Yeah. Theoretically. Like it's just, I agree. I find this a bit hard about there are a lot of people out there who are self-deceived. They profess to be a Christian, but ultimately that's not what's important. They do all the right actions of being a Christian. But again, ultimately that's not what is important. Ultimately mm. it is. Did you know Jesus? Did you have a relationship with Jesus? That is what he says is the important thing here. And I think that's a great challenge to hit for him to end his sermon on. And it, and I think sometimes it's that um, in sort of more secular society, it gets misunderstood that you have to, all you have to be is good. I'm a good person. That there's this thing that gets thrown around is that I'm a, you need to be a good person to get to heaven. Mm. That is, a, and it's like, well, no, actually, yes. If you if you're being the the model disciple, inherent inherently you will be quote unquote a good person, but it's actually more to it than just that. It's not just through your actions of, of through it. It's, it's having that relationship with, with Jesus, with God. That's the, that's the true bit. And it's, and, and it's that whole, um, especially like in like Sunday school and different things, people get confused by this idea between a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God and being a good person. I think that's something that's... Well, I mean, they should flow from each other. They should, yeah. yeah, they should. But and, and uh, I think it's sometimes people get confused. Oh, but I'm a good person. I'll get into heaven. It's like, yes. But he's <laughs> like, but... Do that's you have not that actually the important thing. No, do you have that relationship? Which can lead us on to some very difficult conversations, which we might not touch. Might not touch now. today. No, yeah. no, of of people later in life that have done horrific things than having a relationship with God and the implications and how that, but that's another topic for another day because that's a, that can be a very difficult one to sort of process. And also we don't have the time. We've already covered the entire Sermon on the Mount somehow yeah. in one episode. So I think we need to uh, wrap it up, unfortunately. I was wondering, Morgan, whether you would uh, pray to wrap us up and whether you'd just pray the Lord's Prayer for us, actually. Yeah. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on this uh, podcast. I hope you got something out. It's a big one. It's a it's a juicy one to sort of delve into. Glad that we um we got through it. And like always, if there are any questions, and I'm sure there are questions that come up, or if there is um anything that you got got out of it, sort of maybe your favorite part of this um this verse, because there's a lot in there, and there's some sort of standout things for everyone. If there's anything that stood out to you, or there's questions, please put them put them in, comment below, send it through. We'd love to see what you got out uh, out of this as well as if there's any sort of sort of burning questions or things that you just might not, uh, are just a bit unsure about. Put them, we try, try and see it all, answer it, answer it all. Thank you both for, for joining me. Uh, like always, we'll be uh, keeping everything up to date on our socials and you can listen to this podcast on wherever you consume podcasts and we will see you next week for next week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll see you soon. Bye. 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 A mustard seed creative production. Bye.